This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again in the studio. It is just Chris and myself. And this week, we're talking about my favorite topic. (laughs) I can't wait. We're talking (laughs) about security architecture. So when I think of an architect, I think of somebody that is looking at green fields. Everything is is empty and they're able to build something with their own hands and their own mind in order to meet some type of need. Would you say that's that's correct in that in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at architecture, security architecture doesn't matter really what it is. It's the foundation, the fabric or the process used to build something, whether it's a house, whether it's a network, or even your security stack. Where do we start with security architecture? Like, where does security architecture start and begin? Because when I think about security architecture, it reminds me of networking when you look at IT. These are the folks that are connecting the things together in order to make the system work all together. So where does security architecture really begin? For a second, imagine that you are an architect and let's say your biggest strength is as an architect is your ability to build banks and your newest client, they reach out to you. We'll call this client Ray and Ray asks you to build his company, a new bank. You're going to need to build Ray and his company, something with all of the bells and whistles. Ray wants nothing but the best. And you know, you're going to have to build a bank that's going to boost productivity for the bank staff and the customers. And you're also going to need to build a bank to where the bank staff can stay productive. Uh, But really, the most important thing is Ray is going to expect you to protect his crown jewels. And that's his money, all the gold bars and bricks that Ray has within this bank. As an architect, your job is to not only just build this building that's going to be a productive place for the bank staff and the customers, but you're also going to need to build a place that has security in mind. And when you think of this, a bank, a house, it comes with security controls. You might have a lock on the door. You might have a motion sensing device that sets off an alarm whenever motion is detected. You know, when you look at all of the things that a architect does is they build the fabric, the foundation, but they also build in use cases to make sure that whatever they've built is used in a certain way. So the way I kind of look at it 
is that the architect is the designer of that tower defense posture. They're the person that's thinking like, okay, at this point, this is what we're going to have to protect. Then here, then here, those are the security controls that you're talking about. And so your, your goal is to make it as difficult as possible for an attacker to get to the critical assets or the crown jewels, whatever you want to call it. Would you say that that's a good way to look at security architecture as that tower defense game? Yeah, so that, when you look at a game of tower defense, and for anyone that hasn't played it, it's a game where characters are constantly moving towards the middle of this game board, and they're trying to get to your tower. And you have to build these controls around your tower to make it harder for the enemy to get to your tower to destroy it. And that's exactly how it is in security. We build these security solutions or these security controls in. We might put a firewall in place or put a password policy to lock a user out of their account if they incorrectly guess their password too many times. These are really great examples of security controls. But when it comes to security architecture, we also have guidelines and policies. And these might not have a technological prevention to them or a technological control to them. They might just really be rules of engagement for operating on your environment. If we look at AWS, for example, they've built security policies into their contract. They say, hey, customer, you are not allowed to attack other people unless specifically given permission. This really protects Amazon's infrastructure from legal ramification if they were to find EC2 instances or other devices that are constantly attacking unwanted pieces of the internet. Sometimes folks get lost behind the bits and bytes and we forget about the policies and the procedures and the standards. When it comes to bringing in the technology, is it always better to first have that process laid out? What is it that you're exactly trying to do before you start bringing in these different solutions? I always love to go back to the easy framework, <laughs> right? And if you haven't heard of easy, don't worry. We don't have to get into all of the bits and bytes of easy right now. We have a great course that we put out. It's at hackervalley.com forward slash easy. But anyways, easy is a framework that is all about going from use case to implementation. And it's a step-by-step. -step. First thing that we always want to do is elicit requirements. We want to gather requirements that we have in mind to help protect our organization, but we also want to work with our stakeholders. We may want to do some crown jewel analysis to understand where we have to put in security controls, policies, or guidelines. So before we can perform the implementation of a control or a policy, we really need to understand what are the requirements needed in order to make this thing happen. I always like to think back of the one of the great images that you can probably just find on Google about what it looks like when the customer asks for it, what it looks like when the product manager interprets it, and what it looks like when the engineers deliver it. We can build something great and magnificent only if everyone is in line with the requirements. One of the saddest things I've seen, and I've seen it far too often, is that folks would buy appliances and they would put them in the stack and they would often just sit there. Maybe they were on, maybe they weren't. And they just sit there and it's often a waste of money. What are some of the other pitfalls of security architecture that you've run into over your career that 
people need to be cognizant of if they're going to step into a role like that. You actually just hit on one of the biggest points, and that is having shelfware in your environment. We've all been there where maybe there was a lack of judgment or a dishonest vendor or an someone that just really had a big idea to do something spectacular and it didn't go well. And now you are dealing with this shelfware solution in your security stack. That's one really big disadvantage or uh, pitfall that a security architect can fall into. But another thing is, again, not understanding the requirements, building the wrong thing just completely. That is absolutely terrible and devastating for all parties. And another thing I would say is not testing your controls. We, mm. you were talking about, you know, back in the day, even today, organizations, engineers, architects, they'll buy a security solution and just place it right into their stack. Previously, it was an appliance. Now it might be a AMI, an Amazon instance that just pops right into your environment, your security stack or just your overall networking environment and not testing that control. A lot of the times we think because we've implemented a solution, it's working. A lot of the times it might be, but is it working for all of the use cases that you bought that solution for? Maybe, maybe not. I think that one of the pitfalls that architects fall into a lot is not test it, testing and validating their solutions. One thing that we did with threat intelligence is we talked about that transition into threat intelligence. And during that episode, I also mentioned that it's relatively easy to get started in threat intelligence because all you have to have is that passion, that critical thinking aspect, and just a passion for reading in general. But it seems like it's quite the opposite in security architecture. It seems like security architecture is something that you work your way up to, that you can't just come out of school or get a, a certification and all of a sudden you're a security architect. What does that pathway look like for somebody that wants to get to security architecture? That is a great question. And during these episodes, I'm always going to try to have a few jobs up right next to me that I can kind of talk through the description or a few of the key responsibilities. But before I jump into any of that, I will say that you typically do work your way into becoming a security architect. It's not something that you will have a title of after you graduate college or get your first few certifications. It's a role that a lot of positions kind of translate into over time. You might get this, get this designation by just working at an organization for long enough and understanding their security stack. Or you might be such an expert generalist in security to where organizations want to hire you as their security architect rather than promoting within. And a few roles that might turn into a security architect is a security engineer, a security analyst, and even a solutions engineer. There are a lot of vendors out there that are selling cybersecurity products, and these engineers that customers work with, they have to be architects in some ways to be able to fit their security solutions in other organizations' security stacks. 
Yeah, that's super, super interesting. And that I didn't even realize the solutions architect would be a, a pathway, but it makes sense because all you're having to do is learn a different style of solution. So now you're, you're going from maybe IT specific to security, but I'm sure some of the concepts are the same. So yeah, well, let's dive right into the roles like you were talking about and talk about some of the things that someone would need to know in order to be a security architect and let us know how important is that thing. So I have a company up here that everyone knows about. This company is Apple. And they posted this job May 20th, 2021, which is quite some time ago now. And they are looking for a security architect. A few of the key qualifications is eight years of experience in information security. We were talking about this is typically a role that you work your way into. A lot of organizations, they will consider hiring a security architect with only three years of experience, but most likely not. Um, unless you're probably referred or you have a lot of public work, it's probably going to require a bit more experience for the recruiters or the hiring managers to want to talk. But when it comes to more technical skills that you can learn more quickly, expertise in programming and scripting languages such as C, C++, Python, Ruby, so on and so forth. Programming is critical for being a security architect because not only are you an architect, but you also have to be an engineer when that time comes. When you are looking at a big construction project, a lot of the times, the only people that aren't doing any of the work are the project managers. And we have those in security too. But, you know, as an architect, you will need to do some engineering. So when you look at an architect, a lot of the times you see like classic architect, you see someone that designs what it should look like, but other people build it. Would you say that there's like a spectrum of folks that some are just the designers and some are in the middle and some people go end to end, they design and build the entire system themselves? I think today most security architects are more so in the middle, if not further towards the planning aspect and mm -hmm. handing that body of planning off to another practitioner, probably a security engineer. But it's it's very likely for a security engineer to do a bit of both, where they are almost like that principal engineer, where they are responsible for the plan and being the principal of it all. At some point, they may have some slight implementation that they have to do after the plan is established, after hopefully the architect has worked to gather requirements. If needed, they can build the whole solution, whatever it is. Maybe it's a firewall implementation or introducing a SIM into an environment. A security architect is going to be involved in those efforts, but it's likely going to be a security engineer or a DevOps engineer that brings that solution to life in the environment. I've seen a lot of architects really work in a dev environment and other engineers promote that body of work to production. So what about the folks that are dealing with cloud native versus legacy networking? Is there a big difference in the architects there? It is a night and day difference. The beautiful thing of it all right now, and I'm sure it's going to change over time, is there's a lot of opportunity to keep those legacy chops. If that's where your interest is and that's where you want to stay for now, 
you probably still have quite some time before legacy is really an issue for organizations and they are more in a place to migrate off. I think with the digital transformation process that's happening right now, we're seeing a lot more organizations make more of an effort to get off of legacy. But many organizations, they have these applications that just need to stay running. They don't have the privilege or the opportunity to bring these devices down to migrate them to the cloud. So there's still that huge need for legacy architects. When you look at the opportunity, when you look at the opportunity to learn, grow, and also monetize your skills, really cloud is where it's at. That is going to be the future of security architecture patterns unless there is a new technology that comes out. Yeah, what could be beyond the cloud? (laughs) (laughs) Probably back on the device. It's that that evolution, right? We used to use mainframes and then we were starting to use personal computers and now we're trying to put everything back in the cloud. So I'm sure at some point it's probably going to be back on the device, but on your mobile device this time around. Yeah, or like mini servers that you could just put into your house that connect you to all the other applications that you have. One thing I wanted to ask you about is that what are some of the resources that someone that's interested in security architecture, what can they they read, listen to, watch? What are some of your favorite publications for security architecture? What can people use to develop that skill? There is a few different resources. One great resource that I love to use is YouTube. And YouTube isn't for everyone. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube, a lot of fluff from maybe some conferences that weren't recorded using great audio equipment. But nonetheless, there's a lot of great information on YouTube. If you type in cybersecurity and then a concept that you want to learn about, maybe cybersecurity controls or cybersecurity cloud networking, whatever the case is, you could search for those terms on YouTube and find a lot. I'm also a huge fan of formalized video learning. And if you haven't realized by now, I am a learner through watching and forming something. That's my preferred way. Some people are really into reading. I also am a huge fan of Udemy. That's where I watch things on bigger concepts like If I wanted to learn more about Python and how that relates to security, I would probably just take a Python course and see how can I implement something that I learned as a cybersecurity concept. So an example of that would be, how do I learn how to sniff traffic using Python? How do I learn how to deploy this Amazon instance using Python? So really just building up those programming chops using Udemy. And for all the readers, There's tons of publications. There's O'Reilly, there's No Starch, there's Wiley. Really, all of these are great resources and they're getting even better because now they're starting to introduce the book content, articles, reports, and videos. So there's all of those platforms have quite a bit. And my favorite place to talk about all of this cybersecurity information is Hacker Valley. So, you know, we're doing these two episodes a week now. So for at least quite some time, listeners can learn more about becoming that expert generalist by just way of the podcast. Out.
Outstanding. Thanks so much for giving us a masterclass on security <laughs> architecture. One thing I'd like to encourage people to do, if you have someone in your network that is interested in cybersecurity and they, you think they might be a good security architect, feel free to send this over to them or share this on your platform. We really appreciate it. And of course, you can always find us at HackerValley.com. Thanks, everybody. And we will see everyone next week with another fantastic topic in cybersecurity. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.